Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Nathan Hamilton. He is the director at The Ascent, which is a a division of The Motley Fool, an online uh, personal finance resource. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Nathan. Hey, Jordan. Good to be here. Just give us a little bit of your history and how you led to founding The Ascent and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I've taken a um, kind of a, a wiggly path to get here, but um, actually my background was in stock investment. So I was an equity analyst for some time com- covering consumer goods and technology. And naturally that brought me to the Motley Fool, which is um, you know kind of their bread and butter is investing in stocks and and so forth. So over time, just realized an opportunity in the market to cover more personal finance and kind of go at it with an angle of um, recommendations and reviews because, you know, we'd be on these, um, you know, connecting with our, our audience and we'd see all the time, you know, what do you recommend for a credit card? What do you recommend for a savings account? I don't even know where to start to open a brokerage account. And so we decided to launch the Ascent and that was in mid 2018. And from then, we've been growing pretty fast and um, mainly covering how to get credit cards, brokerage, bank products, mortgage, personal loans, insurances, um, pretty much anything across all of your essential money matters. And you have what you call the golden rule. Tell people what the golden rule is. Well, we want we to do right by all stakeholders in our audience. And I'd say the biggest focus is on our members and just general Americans overall, because Credit cards are a great example. And this was one of the main reasons why we actually got um, started with the Ascent and focused primarily on credit cards to start because there are plenty of websites out there that cover credit cards, but most of them cover them from a spending angle. They don't talk so much about how to use a credit card the right way. Even with all these sites out there, when the internet's been around for 20 plus years, nobody's really doing it right and taking the right angle and making sure people are using credit cards the right way. So for us, if we're promoting a product or if we're reviewing or recommending any sort of um, credit card on site, first off, our question is, when we, when we put it through our ratings model and do the research, would we recommend it to a close family member? If not, simply won't um, give it a positive review on site. And that's just the right thing to do, just to make sure we put our, um, our members' pocketbooks before any advertisers. And what is your business model? It's very clear on the website, but what is your business model so people understand that? So traditionally, it's called affiliate business models. And um, what it is, we review and recommend products. We provide best of lists, like best savings accounts, best travel cards. And um, we receive a commission for referring approvals to um, various advertisers on site. So if you go ahead and apply for a travel card, or if you go ahead and open a bank account, um, we may receive some compensation for that action. Uh-huh. And what kind of articles can people get? It's a free thing to, to sign up for, but Give us a sense of the kind of articles they can find at the Ascent. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's free, 100% to users. And it's going to cover the main topics which we covered um, initially. So credit cards, mortgages, bank accounts from checking to CDs to money markets. And additionally, all of the education that's associated with those sort of products. And also timely news on how COVID-19 affects um, you know, whether you should open a brokerage account or what you can expect with the savings accounts with rates practically having been cut in half over the past three months. Very good. So let's kind of take a broad view of how the coronavirus has affected personal finance. We're going to get into a lot of specific areas. 
Yeah, just kind of, it's been an incredible economic shock to people. Why don't you kind of overall say how it's affected people, and then we'll get into the specific areas. Well, you've got, I mean, looking at it from an economics perspective and kind of the monthly or weekly data that's um, issued by various government agencies, you see some of the numbers. So, you know, 13.3% unemployment in May, which is up from the 3 to 4% level just, you know, six months earlier. And Nevada actually set a state record with 28% unemployment in April. So there's kind of the economics we see. Obviously, we know a lot of people are, are strained, uh, particularly in service industries um, where businesses aren't as normal. But we've also done research just to look into it more individually just to see how people are reacting to those numbers, kind of the story behind those. And what we see is a lot of different um, trends. Most importantly, and I think one to, to really point out, is a lot of people's behaviors have moved toward pretty much just surviving by paying bills and putting whatever they have left over into savings. And that's a higher proportion than what you would have seen, you know, four months ago at this work February and you and I had this conversation. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people are spending money differently as well. Uh, but that's one that to me, just a stark difference in how people are managing their money today versus a couple of months ago. So let's just talk about savings particularly. Uh, interest rates are down. They were almost at zero anyway before all this, and now they've come down yeah. more. Uh, banks haven't started charging to hold your money, which would be negative interest rates, but we're pretty close to that. If people are putting aside extra money for savings because they're worried, where can they put it where they're going to get a decent yield and not take a lot of risk? Well, you have to put into context also a decent yield because that's going to be different than what it was a couple months ago. So. If we look at online savings accounts earlier in the year, you could get something, um, a pretty basic account, no fees for about 23 to 2.5%. We look at it now, many of the accounts on our best savings list have the highest yields in the market and they're closer to 1.05% or 1.2%. Some may even go as high as 1.3%. So these are decent places to put your money. Of course, the rate is going to be a lot lower than what um, would have been a couple months ago. And we look at inflation that slightly outpaces those numbers. Um, sure, you can get a decent return, um, but you just kind of have to put the historical context into place. And that's really the most you're going to get in kind of a, a liquid um, investment like a savings account. Going into a CD, you know, you can grab a five-year CD and get a, a higher rate, but you've also got the risk of blocking your money up for five years what are historically low rates. You do get safety and security with banks with FDIC insurance and so forth. Um, but those are really the options and they're, they're not the greatest yields as you see. So the best ones are online accounts, not your local bank with FDIC insurance. Do you have some names of companies that have amongst the highest uh, online savings accounts right now? Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, you know, American Express, also Marcus Goldman Sachs, um, Synchrony, Ally are all um, different accounts in the market that are offering a pretty competitive yield. And if you, you search online for the Ascent Best Savings account, you'll catch about, right now we have eight or nine picks on that list um, that have the most competitive rates and low fees. So the savings rate overall has gone up pretty sharply over this time period because people who are doing decently are able to save more and they're spending less out of fear. There's a lot of people who can't save anything, who have nothing at all, they're, in fact, not even making their basic, basic payments. What you, is, is this going to be a widening disparity of the kind of haves and have-nots because of uh, COVID-19? 
I believe it will be, and, and that's unfortunate. I actually want to take a step back and just kind of look at a multi-decade trend and how that also plays into what's happening today. Um, so home prices, real home prices, um, have increased approximately 120% since the 70s. Over that same time period, real incomes have increased about 22%. So as you can see, it's becoming more difficult to own a home, to own an asset that increases in value versus paying rent, and you never get that return when you sell it. Now, that's one factor among many that just makes it more difficult to kind of level up and become a middle-class American or have assets or increase your net worth and therefore get better interest rates when you take out a loan, have a higher credit score, pay your bills on time. All these sort of things do play into why um, it's more difficult for some people to, to get ahead. So let's talk about like, yeah. the rental side first, then we can talk about the home ownership. Yeah. On the rental side, so I think roughly a third of Americans rent, is that right? Something like that. Um, and a lot of people are not paying their rent, or at least all of their rent. I heard recently that 100 million payments have been missed between rent and uh, loan payments of various times, student loans, credit cards. Uh, what do you recommend for people who le literally do not have the money to pay their rent uh, this month? I think some places have uh, stopping of evictions and foreclosures, but for a relatively short period of time, or maybe three months or so. What do you recommend for people in that circumstance? Well, there's certainly the protections that you can look into, and, and those are ones in dire scenarios that are, are worthwhile. But as you look at it, the CARES Act, at 120-day moratorium on rents, and that's for about a third of um, the population out there that is renting currently. And as you look at it, sometimes there's really not a huge amount you can do, and you are subject to eviction in those cases. So, you know, I, I would say there, there's easy recommendation to start by just putting aside money into an emergency savings account. And I know that seems like an odd recommendation, but I think it is one that can build momentum over time. And if you look at it, if you simply just you know grab five percent of your check, your daily, or sorry, your um, your paycheck, and put that into a savings account, almost money out of sight, money out of mind. Be surprised how you're able to save that money. And for people that potentially are having a hard time making ends meet, it is one way. It's not an immediate answer um, to cover rent if you're behind a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, but over the longer term, it, it can help out. So the CARES Act, I think, pretty much runs out at the end of July. Do you expect yeah. massive evictions of renters uh, after that expires? I think, well, personal opinion, and I don't necessarily want to speak for everyone there, but I would not be surprised if there's some sort of extension or some sort of stimulus that comes in behind that if the current situation um, continues to be a problem as it is today. If things improve somewhat, maybe less likely, but the government has already signaled and the administration has already signaled um, willingness to put out multiple stimulus, whether it's a sec second stimulus check or multiple SBA loans or optimizing those programs to give out more funds. So there very well could be some relief, uh, but it's not anything that anyone can bank on at this point. So if you're in that circumstance, uh, I mean, should you start looking for another place to live or what, what's going to happen to these people who don't have the money and are going to get evicted? Well, there's a good chance they'll be evicted. So, um, you know, if there's any way to be proactive about it and maybe find a roommate, maybe find a lower rent opportunity in the market and maybe have to deal with moving. That are, Those are some scenarios, but unfortunately, um, you know, that look isn't great for everyone who is renting that is having a hard time making ends meet. We'll have to take some. How about on the landlord side? Uh, are they going to have a lot of vacancies? Are they going to be able to fill these things again or are they worried about losing uh, tenants? 
No, they're, they're definitely worried about losing tenants. I mean, if you look at the data and so forth and rent prices, rent prices have come down. There's still demand depending on the market you're looking at, but overall on average, um, prices have come down. So that's less profit for um, landlords, but generally the actual tenancy rates have maintained somewhat consistent. That's mostly because people are unwilling to move. But if there comes a scenario where people are forced to move, um, you know, you've got dead, dead inventory a lot of times to turn around a, um, a lease of two to three months, and that's profit that's lost to the landlords. Yeah, so it's going to hurt both sides of the rental equation. Absolutely. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Nathan Hamilton. Uh, he is the director at The Ascent, which is run by The Motley Fool. You can find out more. It's a free website at fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. Uh, and we'll be back after this. For all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds any way we can right now. What if you need to mail a pack package or letter and get stamps at the post office? Well, don't worry. Stamps.com is here to help. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. As if that's not enough, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Post Office and UPS right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your home or office where you're hunkering down these days. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping products, or you're working from home and need to mail packages, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. I've used Stamps.com for several years, and I have a large database of all the contacts that I mail packages to already stored in the program, so it's easy to call up their names and mail to their address. The label prints out on my printer, I attach it to the package, and off it goes. Stamps.com is always kept up to date, so whenever the post office changes their rates, Stamps.com automatically adjusts what you get charged, so you pay the best rate available. Simply use your computer to print any official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once the mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get great discounts, too. Five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates with UPS. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, listeners to The Money Answer Show get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in answers. That's stamps.com, enter answers. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, 
music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Nathan Hamilton. He's a co-founder and director of The Ascent by The Motley Fool, which is an online publisher of all aspects of personal finance. You can find out more at fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. Welcome back to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Jordan. So we talked about the rental side. Now let's talk about the buying side. Um, has COVID made it easier or harder to buy homes? Interest rates have come down. Is it easier to get a mortgage today? Give us a sense of how this has all affected the housing market. So it depends on which area of the country you're in, but on average, how home prices have slowed their growth. Um, now, what's taken over our virtual showings to kind of have the contactless experience of it overall. Um, but definitely demand for our housing is down because people are worried about the pandemic and so forth. But prices generally haven't reacted as you would suspect and um, gone negative growth. Um, really just a small increase over time. And how about mortgages? How much have mortgages come down since this all started back in, say, February or so? Well, you'd expect mortgage rates to be a lot lower than where they are today with the Fed having set rates near zero. But the reality is um, rates have come down. No doubt about that. But mortgage companies have realized such high demand as a result that when the Fed made um, their second rate cut after a little bit of time, mortgage really didn't budge that much. So sure, you know, maybe a couple months ago you could have gotten a mortgage with you know, the proper down payment and great credit score and, and economics and getting that kind of 3 to 4% range. Um, now you're kind of at the lower threes for most people getting mortgage. And my, my example actually is a good one. Um, I'm a serial refinancer for my home. If I can find a whole, a lower rate, I'm going to go out and find it. So in the last year, I refinanced one time about six months ago. And I figured once everything happened with the Fed reducing interest rates, I would get a rate that was half of what I got before, which is a great rate. The reality is mortgage lenders um, are aware that rates did come down. But in reality, I was actually um, potentially refinanced with a quote that was the same rate that I would have gotten when I refinanced six months ago. So yes, rates have come down some some over time, but you'd expect them to be a little bit lower than what they are today um, based on the economic scenario. So when does it make sense to refinance? How much does the new rate have to be lower than the old rate to make it sense uh, going through closing costs and points and so on? Well, it's, the rate depends on the home value and the loan value and so forth. I would more look at it as your break-even costs. Um, so if it's gonna cost you $2,000, to refinance and your payment is going to be $200 lower, it'll take you 10 months to break even. Um, so if you plan on owning your home for more than that 10 month period, it's going to start being advantageous for you to refinance today after that 10 month period. 
Yeah, okay. And is it better to go for a national lender or a local lender? You have listings of mortgage lenders on your site. How could you find the best mortgage lender? Typically, you're going to find it nationally with online brokers, um, specifically, because some local brokers, you can find a pretty competitive rate. But for the most part, online lenders that don't have the overhead of a brick-and-mortar network um, are typically able to offer a slightly lower rate, and the process is actually just as seamless as having anyone local. Yeah. Another new trend we've come across is contactless payments. Maybe describe what that is, and is that going to be a permanent uh, situation? I think the, the second part of your question, yes. I, I do think it will be a more permanent situation in a couple of years. Today, not so much. But contactless payments are essentially just holding your phone or watch in front of an NFC reader at a retail store to pay for your transaction versus using a check or using cash, which we know um, both can um, convey germs and so forth. Yeah. Um, so how can people prepare themselves for the next big emergency, both homeowners and renters? I mean, this kind of hit people out of the blue. They really weren't able to prepare for it. How can you prepare for another thing like this? Well, I think if you're looking to, to stay in your home, obviously it's just a matter of keeping money in savings. And, and a lot of times that work is done a year before today. It's not so much a reaction today. So it's just a matter of being over-prepared and conservative with your finances. So in a prior section, we talked about setting up an emergency funds. So if you are owning a home, if you have done the research to buy a home that fits within your budget, you should be able to afford you know, 5 to 10% of your income to go into a savings account. If you're not doing it, just get started and automatically set it on cruise control. Like I said, if you want to start with 1%, if you want to start with 5%, if you want to start with 10% of your income for a paycheck, do it. I think the important thing is just to get started. Um, so it's just a matter of being overprepared. On a more macro level, what role is housing going to be playing in the recovery of the economy? Typically housing share of GDP is about 15%, something like that. Yep. Could this lead us out of the uh, downturn with uh, lower mortgage rates and, and lower house prices, making it more affordable for people to buy homes? Certainly there is some tailwind from a strong housing market because people are able to sell their homes, gain more profits, um, and, and so forth. But I think the more important aspects to really focus on are kind of the retail spending and the savings rates and so forth. Those are kind of more of the strong need stronger weeding indicators that'll tell you, okay, maybe we're about to get out of this crisis or maybe the economics are looking a little more favorable. And if you look at retail spending data, it absolutely whipsawed um, the last couple months. So if you go back to um, April and May down double digits and then came roaring back in um, May at 17.7% increase in retail spending, it's an absolute whipsaw that maybe shows a little bit of pent-up demand also maybe watered down by the fact that people are receiving stimulus checks and using that money for uh, perhaps retail spending as well. Uh, we just don't have a clear picture of it today. What, on, the, on a broader view on the economy, what would the economy look like for the second half of the year if we do get another stimulus or what I call a rescue package, or if nothing passes Congress and there's no further rescue package, what would the economy look like either way? I don't think the stimuluses would have a huge impact, and, and that's based on our research. And specifically, I, I want to cover a couple stats that I think are really enlightening. And we asked people what they plan to do with their stimulus check the first round. And beyond paying bills, most people said they're just going to save it. So it's really just to cover the bare 
bare minimum and the bare essentials and then save whatever else they have remaining. So that money's not going back into the economy for retail spending and so forth. So if things remain as is, that means maybe we get a, a second stimulus of some sort, whether it goes to businesses and consumers or both. Um, but I wouldn't expect those numbers to look drastically different because that signals we're in a situation that's still pretty difficult times. So you're, you're saying that things are going to rebound even if there isn't a stimulus because a lot of people are saving it anyway. So it sounds like you're relatively optimistic about the second half of the year. I'm optimistic in certain areas. Um, housing market, you know, somewhat optimistic there. Renters market, not great to be in because we're seeing some um, signals of maybe not the best uh, buyer's market for that. But other areas, if there are stimulus and it can, um, you know, essentially do what a stimulus does and outweigh the downsides of what's affecting everyone, I think there's a little bit to be upbeat about. But I think it's actually still too early to really tell because uh, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of this first wave or the beginning of the second wave that could potentially take place in the fall. Let's go to another topic, which is student loans. Uh, we've had a lot of people had virtual graduations, which is nice, but the debt is not virtual. The debt is real. So yeah. you've got all these people who are in January expecting a bountiful job market and coming into one of the worst job markets we've had in, in a long time. What do you recommend for people who have a huge amount of student loan debt in this market? Well, first off, if it's a, if it's a federal loan, look at the federal loan options for forbearance or deferred payments. Um, those are going to be your most powerful options to, to look at and you can reduce your payment, maybe defer interest for some period of time um, to get you through um, the period from graduation to finding a job. If you have refinanced into a private loan or you originated a private loan, um, sometimes the options are going to be a little less um, robust and you may not have the forbearance options that you would have for a federal loan. But for the most part, many lenders are willing to provide some sort of relief and if you call up your lender, um, typically they'll provide you the various options for private lenders. Um, and there are ones that you, know, you can defer your payments um, with some lenders up to three months and later. So what are some places you recommend to refinance student loans? There's a ton of them out there. And I don't know if I'd single one out because for the most part, it's going to be depend on the rate. But if you look online and just go to Google and search um, you know, best student loan providers and so forth, you're going to find a ton of options. And for the most part, any of those names that are on those lists are reputable, vetted. They don't charge um, large origination fees. They have competitive rates. And those are typically going to be some of your best options, online-only lenders. And if you had a child about to go to college as a freshman this fall, mm -hmm. would you have pause about paying sixty or $70,000 a year if they're going to do it from their bedroom? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I don't think I would have pause about it immediately because just as what's happened with remote work, um, we found that the transition has been a little bit more seamless than what anyone would have anticipated. So businesses are still growing with large workforces that are working remote. They've been able to adapt. And whether or not we're fully to that high level of adaptation yet, that's arguable. So in the very, very near term, in that first quarter, I may be a little concerned, but I think after that period, I'm not too concerned because I think the quality of education is going to remain, whether it's in a school or over Zoom. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Nathan Hamilton. He's the co-founder and director at The Ascent, which is run by The Motley Fool. 
uh, a, a free personal finance website with all kinds of good resources. Uh, you can find out more at fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. We'll be back after this. For all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds any way we can right now. But what if you need to mail a package or letter or get stamps at the post office? Don't worry, stamps.com is here to help. With stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. As if that's not enough, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home or office where you're hunkering down right now. Whether you're a small business sending invoices and online seller shipping products or you're working from home and need to mail packages, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. I've used Stamps.com for many years, and I have a large database of all the contacts that I mail packages to already stored in the program, so it's easy to call up their names and mail it to their address. The label prints out on my printer, I attach it to the package, and off it goes. Stamps.com is always kept up to date, so whenever the post office changes their rates, Stamps.com automatically adjusts what you're going to get charged so you pay the best rate available. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere in the world you want to send something. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in the mailbox. No human contact required. It's just that simple. With Stamps.com, you get great discounts, too. Five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, listeners to The Money Answer Show get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Answers. That's Stamps.com. Enter Answers. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Nathan Hamilton, co-founder and director of The Ascent, which is offered by The Motley Fool, a free website on all aspects of personal finance. Their website, fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. Welcome back to the show, Nathan. Hey, Jordan. Good to be here again. So let's talk about various topics. One is online investing. Uh, a lot of people, they can't bet on sports anymore because there's no live sports. <laughs> so they're betting on the stock market and going to Robin Hood and pushing up all these speculative stocks to incredible heights. What is your view? Is this a healthy thing or is this not going to end well? I think there are certain things that are healthy, but there are definitely some things to be concerned about. And, um, you know, I may meander to an answer here, but I hope you bear, bear with me just a little bit. But, you know, the Molly Fool's mission is just to get regular average um, everyday American invested. And um, we believe a lot of people can do their own investing and don't necessarily need um, somebody on Wall Street or a commission salesman to, to help them out. So <clears throat> as a result of everything that's happened in the past few months, we've seen record numbers of people um, starting to take action on investing. So open brokerage account, subscribing to our services and so forth. So that absolutely for the long-term benefit of, of people investing over you know, a multi-decade time frame for retirement, that's a huge plus and, and definitely delivering our, on our mission. Here's a counterpoint to that where um, there can be some concern is when everybody is jumping into stocks, of course, it pushes the prices up. There's more demands, less um, same inventory. And that's a formula for just pushing up prices. In certain speculative stocks, that can happen. And there are definitely concerns um, within that realm. And also, as you look at it, companies like Robinhood, these are good brokerage services and they have a high quality product. It's easier than ever to open a Robinhood account and trade for free. And that draws more people in. Whether they're informed investors or not is up to debate. And sometimes that can put at, push asset prices higher. So yes, definitely a concern there. Um, but I think that's, in my opinion, outweighed by the long-term um, benefit of people getting started investing and starting to save for their retirements and grow their networks. So one thing people were particularly looking at the last few weeks was Hertz. Right after it went bankrupt, it went down to a few pennies a share. Everybody jumped onto it. It went up 400% to $4 a share and so on. Is that worrying to you? It is. And you know, I'm not a financial advisor and don't recommend um, certain stocks or not. When you look at um, how the Motley Fool invests and how we like to invest overall, it's a matter of looking at strong businesses that have a competitive advantage over time. That comes down to good management, good culture, strong cash flow, all these sort of factors. Now, sure, you can speculate and invest in Hertz, but, you know, go back to those core questions. Is it well managed? Potentially not if they're in bankruptcy. Does it have a sustainable business model? We don't know at this point. They'd be very profitable if so. Um, so all these factors are just real pure speculation. And whether you make money in those sort of stocks, it's all up to um, the market and what they want to do on that given day based on the news cycle. 
that's not something that we invest in the long term for. As far as picking an online brokerage firm, I assume you have some tools at the Ascent. How can you, if, if you've got all, basically they're all charging zero commissions now, so how yep. do you pick one that's best? So if you happen to want to consolidate your banking with one, um, one brokerage, many offer checking and savings accounts and CDs and so forth. That's one thing to look at. Um, if you're kind of in the more modern age and so forth and want to manage everything on your handheld device, you know, certainly you're going to look at various Robin Hoods of the world out there that are really high quality products. But, you know, to be honest, of the ones on our list for the best brokers, um, you know, all of them are, are great in terms of low fees, pretty much no commissions for trading. They have great trading platforms, um, great customer service and so forth. So it's kind of just looking at, you know, maybe fees and seeing what's involved there to see if there's any major difference between the few. So you've had several interesting articles on the Ascent recently. One you said, how to talk to your kids about financial hardship. So yep. parents are going through a really hard time now, and, and kids don't know what's going on. How should you talk to your kids about uh, the, the distress a lot of people are going through? I think it's just a matter of honesty and transparency with anything, because and, and also using it as a learning opportunity, depending on the kid's age, um, if they have an understanding of money and how it pays for the home and how uh, roof over their head and so forth. So I think just being honest, if you're experiencing some difficulties with unemployment or making ends meet by the end of the month, um, I just mentioned, hey, here's what's happening in our certain scenario. Here's our expectation of what's going to happen in the future. Here's how we're going to react. And this is what it means for your financial future and how you should manage your money. Whether we've made a mistake or not, that's up to us to determine. But here's how you can benefit from it in the future, knowing history. There have been a lot of scams coming out of this whole area. One particular you talked about was bogus uh, COVID-19 contact tracers trying to get your yep. personal information. Tell us more about that one. So credit card fraud has spiked uh, significantly and also lender fraud because a lot of people are looking for relief there. And those are really the, the areas where we've seen the spikes the most. And as we look at immediately after the pandemic hit, there was roughly a doubling of certain um, sorts of fraud, and that was around refunds for travel. So there was kind of some uncertainty at the time as to whether your airline would return your money. But a lot of um, fraudsters were reaching out directly, just kind of a spray and pray, spaghetti against the wall approach and calling people and saying, hey, we understand you have travel and we can get you a full refund. They get all of your data and information and so forth. And boom, they were off to the races, um, taking your personal data and potentially spending money that you were never using. So um, those are areas we've seen quite a significant increase. It has leveled off some, but there's still a good amount of it. And how about this contact tracer thing? So people are going to get legitimate calls from contact tracers saying, who have you seen? What, what is the, the tip-off that's not a legitimate way of doing it so you don't give the information to the wrong people? Well, first off, if they're asking for your social security over the phone, that's going to be um, the first, first tip-off. Um, if they're asking for any of kind of that secondary personal information over the phone and it's a proactive outreach to you, um, that is definitely something to be aware of. But... Here's the unfortunate reality of many of these. Some of these fraudsters are, are so good that it's very difficult to tell when it's fraud or, or legitimate. Take email for an example. Um, you could receive an email, and in the example I mentioned, that um, we can get you a refund on your travel that your airline won't cover. The email is going to look like a legitimate site. When you click on the URL, 
and go to visit that site, it may not be the actual site you're intending. So if it was like www.airline.com was where you're intending to go, the site may be www.fraudairlines.com. And really the only way to look at that and avoid it is not click in an email link, not click in a link within your email under any scenario and go directly to that website if it is related to you. Yeah. What are some other scandals and scams you've been seeing lately taking advantage of people's fear? On the lender side, there's definitely been a lot of that. So both on student loan debts and loan consolidation, um, whether it's perhaps um, questionable businesses that are legit and maybe not the most forthcoming in terms of the fees and interest charges and so forth. I consider that kind of a, a form of fraud and taking advantage of users or if it's simply just offering debt relief in exchange for personal data, they then take that and um, spend money without you knowing. So the debt relief is probably one of the more common ones right now because that's where people are feeling a good amount of pain. So if they get your information, like your social security number, your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, things like that, what are some things that the fraudsters will do with that to, uh, to harm you and, and your, uh, your good name? Well, typically they're going to open accounts in your name and credit lines, which is going to impact your credit score. Um, they're going to make charges on your behalf that you don't know about, which sometimes you may be on the hook for, depending on um, the scenario. But there are certain protections and so forth that are in place, particularly if you use credit cards over debit cards. You have an extra level of um, uh, fraud on those sort of payments that you can um, ask for with your credit card company. So that's one area where, you know, it is important to use credit over debit, but I understand that credit isn't necessarily the right tool for every person. Do you think it's a good idea to have some kind of a monitoring service uh, so that if you are, somebody's opening accounts in your name, you'll be notified? I think it depends on your credit card issuer because there are several issuers in the market that offer similar sorts of services and give you credit alerts and give you credit monitoring and they monitor the dark web all four are applying for a credit card with no annual fee. So if you happen to have some of those credit cards, I don't think it's worthwhile. Um, but if you're not a fan of credit cards and want to go a different route, I think it is worthwhile for the subscription. I don't know what they run nowadays, whether it's $100, $200, um, $300 per year, but they generally can be worth their weight in gold when you have a fraud claim and keep an eye on things. It can be a royal pain if you've had your ID stolen trying to get your good name back indeed. We're yeah. going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour, Nathan Hamilton, is the co-founder and director at The Ascent by The Motley Fool, a personal finance website on all these different topics. You can find out more at fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Nathan Hamilton, is the co-founder and director at The Ascent by Motley Fool. Uh, You can find out more at their website, fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. Welcome back to the show, Nathan. So some other topics, uh, airline uh, frequent flyer miles. Now, a lot of people aren't flying these days. Uh, How should you kind of think about flying, and are they going to give you fantastic deals as people start getting back into the air? Yeah, you're definitely going to see some good deals in there. But um, in terms of airline loyalty programs, not a huge amount is changing as a result of the crisis. I would say maybe if you're related to credit cards more specifically, where a good number of people earn um, their, their airline rewards. Um, some cards have offered some pretty good perks as a result of spending habits and so forth. Like major issuers are now offering um, limited time, um, higher rates for grocery purchases because we know people are um, using those more frequently or for delivery services and so forth. But looking at airline loyalty programs, you know, the value of miles across programs um, and sort of the perks and so forth offered there generally haven't changed too much as a result of anything happening now. And don't necessarily foresee that, but for people that have miles built up, just maybe some time before they're able to use them safely, put it that way. As the economy reopens in general, are you expecting a huge amount of fantastic bargains in travel, in retail, and all the areas where people haven't been able to shop, but they're trying to lure people back? Is it going to be a really good time to shop uh, during the reopening time? I think it'll be dependent on the airline or the retail um, retailer that you're shopping at. For certain airlines that are maybe in a little bit more precarious financial position um, that aren't seeing the demand that kind of the major airlines would see. Yes. So that may be on the shorter term flights that you see and less so of the national, big national carriers and so forth. In retail, I think it's a matter of um, the business you're looking at. So certain retailers that always had a strong online presence, you know, call it Amazon, call it um, Walmart. You're typically not going to see much changes there. But if it's a local mom and pop shop that never had an online presence and they just need to get inventory turned to be able to make um, their paychecks for the couple months going forward, yeah, there's absolutely going to be some some opportunities there. Um, so it really just depends on where you're shopping. Let's take a look at the, the future for inflation. On one hand, when the Fed doubles its balance sheet from $4 trillion to $8 trillion plus in three months, you'd normally think that would be very inflationary. You've got yeah. the spending a huge amount of money and central banks around the world printing huge trillions and trillions of dollars. That would be very inflationary. On the other hand, you've got the deflationary impact of the contraction. Where, where, where are we going? Are we going to have more inflation or more deflation? So in the near term, that's always a question up to, you know, kind of the Fed and where their forecasts are, are looking at. But over the long term, the Fed is predicting inflation in 2021 to be around 1.6%, 1.7% in the subsequent year um, for 2022. 
So in the near term, you know, we could see a couple more months of um, deflationary um, trends with prices. But that said, over the long term, the Fed is, um, you know, predicting inflation will come back some, I wouldn't say come roaring back, um, because the goal is really to have long-term inflation around 2% per the Fed's mandate. Um, so we are still seeing lower inflation than normal, which isn't always the greatest signs for the health of a long-term economy. But I mean, various economic indicators, gold, even Bitcoin, have gone up a lot, mm. anticipating that there is going to be a roaring back of inflation because of all the money being printed around the world. You don't believe that that's, that's real? I, I think there is some reality to it. Um, I mean, if we go back to the financial crisis in 2008 and what gold did since that time frame, you know, the five years from 2008 to 2013 certainly did see um, pent-up demand and a lot of interest in gold. Um, but the price of gold really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot um, over the same time period compared to, say, investing in the S&P 500 or investing in the Dow or investing in, in high-quality stocks. So, yeah, you could see some bubbles there um, in inflationary periods. Um, but that's, I think you're looking over kind of a maybe one to three year time frame. Yeah. Let's talk about getting a job during this whole crisis. What are some things people can do? I mean, so many people have been laid off through no fault of their own. Their business closed. They're the state mandated that they close and they're having mm -hmm. a hard time. Should they convert to be an online worker or what, what job finding strategies would work in this environment? I think you, you definitely have to pivot and be adaptable to online contractor sort of work at this point, even with sometimes the higher taxes that come with and fewer benefits that come with um, um, contractor work online. That said, there's a wealth of platforms out there and there's a lot of businesses that are thriving um, that need that help. So, you know, take, for example, a company that maybe had to cut their workforce by 10%. They had to make some difficult decisions to cut kind of core areas of their business and they may still need variable headcount or variable help um, in those areas. So if you happen to be an engineer, a graphic designer, whatever sort of department had layoffs, there is still a bunch of demand on there. So going through Upwork is um, a platform that we use pretty significantly. And for the most part, it's the default standard for, for contractors to find work. So everybody's going to become a gig worker, basically. You know, I, that is one outcome. Um, and you can argue whether or not that's good for the long-term economy and whether it's good for uh, the workers themselves. I, I think there's pros and there's cons um, to that there, but it's definitely one outcome. You, you see what's happened. I can't recall the number, but I think Amazon was hiring anywhere from 50 to 100,000 warehouse workers as a result of the growth in the last few months. And then you see Lyft, Uber, uh, various um, delivery services are seeing skyrocketing growth as well. And so there are job opportunities there. Um, whether or not it's an income that matches what you were earning before, it depends on your situation, but there are those opportunities. Let's talk about credit scores. So, again, the people have done well, their credit scores are going up, but probably a lot of people's credit scores are going down if they're missing payments. What should people do in this time to improve their credit score? So, the biggest impacts to your credit score are simply going to be making on-time payments and keeping your debt levels low. So to the extent you can manage those wisely, that's the most important. It counts for 65% of your FICO credit score. Just simply paying bills on time by the due date and keeping your debt levels low and credit utilization. So if you are able to um, spend smartly and not um, put as much on credit as potentially you would have several months ago, that's going to help your credit score. And also 
another component that really does take an impact that is worth considering is applying for new loans. So anytime you have a hard inquiry, um, you're going to take a little bit of a ding on your, your score in the short term. Generally, it's going to be five to 10 points um, per inquiry. But if it's something that you're looking to refinance a mortgage at the same time, you'll probably want to delay um, looking at another loan alternative so you put forward the best credit score possible to get the best rate. Are you seeing banks tighten up on lending standards? Absolutely. Yep. Um, I would say looking at it in a couple different ways. So credit limits are being reduced. Mortgages are harder to get approved for. Um, and then you also look at credit cards. Many of the issuers have taken their credit cards that were intended for people with kind of average fair credit. And the requirements are now good or maybe excellent credit or better to get the same offer that somebody with average fair credit would have gotten in earlier 2020. So there's an absolute tightening. And if you look at, I think it was Wells Fargo in the last month, um, cut off loans to various car lenders. And these are kind of the subprime, maybe slightly higher than subprime lenders. So it's harder to find money um, whether you're needing it. And that's a matter of your credit score, a matter of your financial scenario and everything. There's a definite tightening. In this roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of sum up the situation and what people can do to get through this completely uncertain environment that's kind of been a financial shock to a lot of folks? Yep. So look at it a few ways. Um, first off, take the most conservative stance possible. So whether you're optimistic about the outcome, I'm eternally optimistic about everything. Regardless, you've got to take the, the most conservative scenario, and that is your default. So if you're looking at a big purchase, delay it three months, delay it six months. That's going to be the most important thing. I think it's also important as well to maybe line up financing options if you think you're going to run into some difficulties because one of the, I think the, the most valuable perks that credit cards offer are 0% offers. And those generally last anywhere from you know 12 to 21 months. And if you have good credit and better, you can typically qualify for those. So you may not need it immediately, but it's good to have that lifeline in place in case you do, because it could save yourself if you're um, struggling with income. Very good. Well, you've given us a lot of good advice. You can find out more at The Ascent, which is his uh, the website. It's part of The Motley Fool. has all kinds of information on many aspects of personal finance and ways to find the best bank and credit card and mortgages and all the things we talked about. So thanks so much. You've given a lot of great advice, Nathan. Thanks, Jordan. Pleasure to be on this show today. My guest has been Nathan Hamilton, uh, the director of The Ascent at The Motley Fool. His website, fool.com slash the hyphen ascent. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show. We'll be back again next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.